Good morning, Springbrook. So good to see you. Today is Super Bowl Sunday, number 52. For 52 years we've been watching the Super Bowl. And of course we have the Philadelphia Eagles against the New England Patriots. I don't know about you, but I'm just so tired of the New England Patriots. Amen. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, nine times the Super Bowl in recent years, five wins, and they—it's just not fair. That's the bottom line. It's not fair. Look at this guy, huh? See that smug look on his face, huh? Yeah, I'm good. I know I'm good. I'm the best. I'm Tom Brady. Yeah, I've won five Super Bowls. I got five Super Bowl rings. Twelve times they asked me to go to the Pro Bowl. I'm worth $180 million. And I'm 40. He's 40. It's time to stop, okay? You retire. Only kickers last until 40 years old. What's going on here? Ah, thank you. Hey, listen. Any Patriot fans here? Raise your hand. Oh, Oh, really? Oh, man. Right in the front row. I want you two, as well as the others, to go across the way into our youth room. And I want you to watch real Super Bowl team called the Chicago Bears, 1985. Okay? Compare them to your Patriots, I'll tell you. No possible way. Exactly. Hey, you know, another thing I want to recognize is Scout Sunday. I see a scout over here. Why don't you stand up? Aiden, and then another scout over here. We have another other scouts. Let's give them a hand. All right. Way to go, scouts. We're proud of you. We're proud of you. Yeah. Thinking about the big game tonight, and you start to think about the commercials, right? The commercials. I was listening to the news last night, and they said that it cost $5 million to provide security for this event. Obviously, it's a big target. Five million dollars. And then I heard it cost five million dollars for a 30-second spot. Budweiser should have sponsored the security, right? Five million dollars. What's the deal with that, huh? That's because they want us. They want us. Dorito wants us. (laughs) Diet. Coke. Pepsi. All these different auto, <laughs> autos and that. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Well, we're going to do our annual uh, annual survey here in terms of what you like best about the Super Bowl. So, which is your favorite? You can only pick one. We have football, there for the game, or friends, or food. So you only can pick one. How many like football the best? Raise your hand. All right, the diehard fans. How about friends? Okay, great. How about food? That's a little bit sad, isn't it? You're more interested in the friends or the food than the friends? There's something going on with you. That with me. 
well, it's always a great party, a national holiday. And I was thinking back on my life, and I've watched the majority of the Super Bowls over the years. And I have to go back to the 1960s, and my first Super Bowl, I think they started in 66. And but we had this black and white TV, VHF, UFS, you know, and all the ways to balance the screen and the display. Yeah, that was a great TV, and I watched a Super Bowl on it, and I experienced a Super Bowl. It was all good until color TV came out. So my dad went out and bought a color TV, a Zenith. Ah, yeah, Zenith. And we watched the Super Bowl in color. And it came in the 90s, and some friends of us gave us the ultimate TV, the big box TV, the, the TV that cost like $800 for Raider pounds, that is. I don't know how much it costs, but it was the thing of that particular day. And of course, ah, a flat screen. Well, that was another great innovation. 32 inches. That's huge. But is it big enough? How many of you guys have thought we need a bigger TV today? Hmm? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let me get to somebody's house where they have a real TV. All right? Well, then you got the 40-inch TV, then went to 50-inch and 60-inch, and now this is the top consumer product, I would assume, a Sony 80-inch, 88-inch TV with a curved screen, 4K Ultra HD, all for $16,000. Just wait five years, you can pick it up on a good Friday from Walmart for about $200, so just... You've just got to be patient with these things, okay? The price always comes down. But I tell you what, I could watch it tonight on this TV. I could have a similar experience. But our world is always saying, why don't I have more? Why don't I have a better TV? Why don't I have better clothes, better shoes? Why don't I have better meals? Why can't I go out to eat more often? Why don't I have more? You know, the most powerful illustration was this came to me this morning. is cell phones, right? Give me a break. It's a phone. <laughs> I mean, I know Verizon, they have packages. Well, you can upgrade every year. Every year you get a new phone. How crazy is that? How greedy is that that we have to have a new phone every year? And I don't know what the price point on the, uh, the new iPhone is. I know it started at $1,000. Have we lost our minds? $1,000 for a phone? I think we have. I think we have. But you know what? They keep feeding it to us because we still want it. Yeah, those smartphones. Why don't I have more. Well, let's flip that around. When's the last time you asked yourself, why do I have extra? Ever ask yourself that question? <laughs> why do I have so much stuff? Why do I have this really, really nice house? Why me? Why did I get this house? Why me? Why did you give me that car? It's extra, extra, extra. Yeah, we usually don't think too much about that. That's what we don't have. And the problem is that we all have in our minds what the ideal 
lifestyle is. And it comes from our parents and other influences on our life. We say, okay, that would be the ideal lifestyle. That's what I'm working for. And so I'm asking, why don't I have more? Because I have not reached the lifestyle that I deserve. So we continue to want more and more and more. But the question that we need to ask ourselves as Christ followers is why do I have extra? You realize a billion people in this world live on one dollar a day. One dollar a day. $365 a year. We need to reflect upon that and say, why do I have extra? Jesus taught a very interesting parable. You see it in Luke 12. Jesus said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. What's the key word there? The key word is covetousness. What's coveting? It's wanting something that you don't have. Seeing somebody else with what you want to have and say, I want to have that. Even to the point of giving energy and negative emotion and, yeah, just a selfish spirit that, that flies out of us. I want that. And he said, take care. Be on your guard. Anybody got a guard dog at home? We have two dogs. Neither would qualify. <laughs> they could rob us silly, you know. And, yeah. But yeah, some really have a guard dog. I mean, you that dog guards a house and he starts barking and barking when he hears anything. But why is that? Because people could steal from us at any time. Any time of the day or the night. So we have to have a guard dog. We need to be watching. We need to be aware at all times. And friends, what Jesus Christ is saying is that every day we need to look at our heart and say, is that desire for more seeping in to my life? Because every day you're going to be tempted. The old bumper sticker, he who dies with the most toys wins. You know what this really is all about? It's about something that people really don't talk a lot about. You know, like in a small group, they'll be saying, oh, help me, I'm struggling with anger, or oh, I'm really having a tough time with lust, or I'm so jealous. But how many people say, I'm just too greedy? <laughs> I haven't heard it. I've been in ministry. Can you pray for me, Pastor? I am just so greedy. I just want more and more and more. Yeah. It's just such an ugly word because it represents the ugliness of the sin in our heart. That we're never satisfied with anything. We all need to realize a green-eyed, green-eyed monster lives in our heart. And we've got to watch it every day and ask God to point out to us where we're greedy. And, you know, if we were just brutally honest with people, we all have greedy hearts. 
all have a sinful nature. It's all about selfishness. And, and we've got to ask God for us to purify us, purify our hearts and make us stronger. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, here's another question. How much do you agree with that statement? Based upon your lifestyle, the way you approach life, use your resources, how much are you thinking, the more I have, the happier I'll be. The more vacations I can go on in my favorite spot, the happier I'll be. And none of us don't believe in that. It's the degree that we believe in that, that we want to, again, give that over to God. I love this parable that Jesus tells. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. So this guy was a rich man already. He didn't need a bumper crop, but he got a bumper crop. And he said, Where am I going to put all this extra Rain. Oh, I've got it. I'll tear down my barns and put bigger ones down. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. He thinks he's got it all figured out. And you know, we would say, well, we would never do something like that. Then why are we addicted <laughs> to storage containers? All right? Self-storage. I mean, there's 2.3 billion square feet in America devoted to storing our stuff. One in ten households has one of these containers. In fact, if all the roofs of all these containers were put together, every American could stand under one and have seven square feet. What's the deal with us? We're greedy. Like I'm not saying anything about storage containers in general. But I'm just saying, hey, this wasn't a problem 20 years ago. We didn't have $2.3 billion because people don't know what to do with their stuff. They assume it's their stuff, so well, I've got to have a place to put it. Can't put it in my house because uh, it's not big enough, so I've got, I got to buy some type of you know, room where I can store all my stuff because I might need it in the future. That's greed. And I will say to my soul, this is the farmer again. Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Sounds pretty good to me, don't you? Don't you think? I mean, ample goods. First of all, I've got security. I've got enough stuff. I can just sit here and do nothing, and I'll be okay. And then I've got satisfaction. I can just relax, eat, drink, and be merry, kind of like a Super Bowl party, right? All the time. <laughs> relax, drink, eat, and be merry. So, so what we're searching for is we're searching for security. We want to know that we have a handle on life, that we have enough resources for what might happen in the future. 
And that's our first goal. And the secondary goal is satisfaction. So we can sit back and take all the pleasure that life offers us. Because isn't that what life is all about? Getting all the pleasure that you can. Feeling secure and satisfied. No! It's not! That's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God says, hey, you're going to have problems on earth. You're going to have struggles. But if you find your security in Jesus Christ, and you find your satisfaction in Jesus Christ, then you can be released from greed and walk daily with Him. And that's the problem as we continue to Pursue security and satisfaction. And, and we don't even think about it as having a greedy heart. Because, yeah, it's important to save, invest, all those different things. But we go way overboard. Because we want to know that everything will be okay. And with what's happened uh, economically, going back 10 years, I mean, that really, that scared a lot of people. Like, wow, this money isn't as secure as I thought. Well, friends, it will never be secure. Your life could end at any time. So this is the, the attitude of a selfish heart. This is what uh, we hear constantly. This is interesting. College freshmen's goal. They were asked, what are you looking for? Why are you going to college? What's your goal in life? Well, in 1967 and 2015, we have different numbers. 1967, 42% said, I'm in it for the money. I want to make a lot of money so I can be secure and safe. Where in 2015, 85%. It doubled. <laughs> Parents, you, know, you look, at, look at my parenting. Did I in any way contribute to these type of attitudes? Or purpose. 1967, I'm looking for a purpose in life. 75%. 2015, 45. That's our culture. It's great to have you teenagers in today. I always enjoy having you with us. And this is so important for you, those of you who are younger, because you can make a critical decision in your development. And you can say, hey, listen, I'm a Christ follower. And people tell me that if I really trust in Christ, I'll find security in Him. And I'll find satisfaction in Him. Now, my life's not going to go perfectly. And that's not the purpose of life. The purpose of life is to give the glory of God. And so there'll be ups and downs. But if my security and satisfaction is found in Jesus Christ, and teens, you're going to have to, just like us, you face it every day, and, and you're even more inundated by it than many of us were. We grew up in an extremely selfish world. And, of course, that feeds into our own selfishness. I just uh, love Pastor Matt, Jessica, and Matt's teaching. Friends, uh, if you have high schoolers or junior hires, do whatever you can to get them out. I was talking to one individual recently about that. And I said, do whatever 
you can. As I think back to my high school experience, and it was a great youth pastor that kept me on the straight and narrow and taught me that Jesus Christ was my security and my satisfaction. Luke twelve twenty. We continue with the parable. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you are prepared, whose will they be? So if you're trusting in the world, security, satisfaction, you know what God has to say about your attitude? You are a fool. It's foolish. You're wasting your time. And God's teaching this here, okay? He's not saying fool. He's saying it to say, you're going down the wrong path. You're not going to find what you want. You're fool because life can be taken away in any moment. And he says to the farmer, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? You spent all your life building <laughs> this farm. And now you've got these huge bins. But if you die, it's going to somebody else. It's not going to you. You can't send that ahead. Right? It's foolishness. It's very interesting. You've probably heard of uh, the city of Pompeii. And it was sitting near, uh, near a volcano in modern-day Italy, Italy. And they think it's the largest volcanic eruption in history in Europe. Because it immediately consumed everything that was around it. And what happened in Pompeii, it happened so quickly. All we have are these ashen shells of people's bodies. Right? They've recovered like 1,500 of these bodies. And with one body, they, they saw a woman who was reaching out to a necklace of pearls which are just beyond her reach. And within a moment, she was gone. Friends, we need to pray, encourage one another, exhort one another not to be reaching for wealth that's transitory. Wealth that be gone in a moment. But we want to be living for God. I really enjoyed this generosity series because again, it's it's the secret. It's the secret to having a vibrant life in your walk with God. To give things away again, generosity with your time and your energy. Again, had a great time and no regrets yesterday. I tell you, talk about being a disciple-making family. Bringing 85 guys out to hear subjects that are very close to their hearts about. Family and money and purpose. and You made it happen. That's a treasure, right? You guys gave in order to make that happen. In order that we might have this building where we could sponsor this and other churches were joining in with us. But the time, the people who worked and served, no regrets, they gave their time and time is precious, Right? A lot of people would rather give a check than give their time, right? Think about nonprofit organizations, churches, whatever it may be. It's easier to write out a check than it is to actually devote your time. And talents. And we had uh, Brian Ford back there. 
Another one of the workshops. Thanks, friend. And Tim Bubis. I don't know if he's around. Uh, but they had different skill sets, and they were sharing about those. And it was just a beautiful combination of generosity that made it such a great day. Friends, generosity is the antidote for greed and materialism. Because you're thinking there, oh, <laughs> man, I, I have a lot more greed. It's the way I think. What can I do? What can I do to be more generous? How can I break this stranglehold that greed has on me? Well, be generous. Be generous with your time and your talent and your treasure. Look for ways to give it away, to bless other people. Uh, Jeff White, uh, he talked to me yesterday, I guess, and He's saying that uh, this past week at his work, uh, he won a raffle or something like that uh, for one of these places where you go and you feel like you're constantly falling, right, like a big tube. And he was excited about that. And one of his friends is a dad. And he said, oh, my daughter was counting on that, but I'm glad you got it. Then Jeff came to hear to worship, to get re-synced, realigned in the way he lives his life. And God spoke to him and said, Jeff, this is a generosity opportunity. So the next day, Jeff goes, this man he works with, and he gives him the tickets. Well, those were valuable tickets. Jeff, I knew you wanted to, you wanted to fly. You wanted to fly. But you gave up that joy to give it to a guy's daughter, to show the love of Christ. And friends, it's actions like that that will, again, release this greedy hold on your hearts. And you really have to be intentional about it because you, you don't usually think about it. You're thinking about me and how I can arrange things to satisfy myself. But the key with the power of the Holy Spirit is to say, I want to be generous. I want to give away. Jesus Christ said, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that you do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. When was the last time that you sold your possessions in order to give? The needy. Jesus Christ told us to do it. How would you even do that? I guess you could have a garage sale and say, all funds collected in this garage sale will go to this particular organization. It helps people in need. Maybe you just want to go through your house and look for something that's valuable to you and say, I'm willing to sell this so I can help other people. Man, that's outrageous. I know it's outrageous because generosity is outrageous. Now, I want to encourage you as we spend time together, you be thinking about one thing you can do that really is kind of out of your comfort zone. It's like, no, I wouldn't do that, but I want to be generous and, and step out. Put, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old. 
Those are heavenly money bags with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. We saw it with the farmer. We saw it with the people at Pompeii. Again, (laughs) the idea is to send your treasures ahead into heaven. I really feel that I've mentioned many times before, and I'll keep mentioning it, that we don't fully understand how wonderful eternity will be. Again, the things you like here on earth, like the Super Bowl, and someday we'll be sitting, oh, you remember those stupid Super Bowl parties that we went to? It's so much better here in heaven. We have so much more of a good time. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. It's hard because, really, God even can't even communicate to us in a sense where we understand how awesome it will be. So if we send our treasures ahead, you think God's going to give us interest? Oh, yeah. Why? Because I know God. And God always blesses when He doesn't even have to bless us. Just encourage us to step out and step into a relationship with Him. As for the rich in this present age, Paul writes, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Of course, I read that verse. Well, I'm not rich. <laughs> I can tell you all the problems I have because I don't have enough money. And then you look at this. The slums in India. Are you rich? I think you are. As for the rich in this present age, charge them, now this is us, not to be haughty. That's a problem with riches. That's a problem with having a lot is that we get arrogant. We think we've got it all handled, that we don't have to worry. We don't have to, you know, tell God I need you because we've got ourselves, right? And that is what Satan wants us to believe. In order to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Again, don't, don't stock up. Don't hoard things here on earth. You're not taking them with you. But on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now, here's a question. How much do you believe in that statement? How much do you believe that if you become generous, that God is going to provide us with everything to enjoy? Well, God, if I'm generous, I can't get that car that I want. Well, God's going to provide you with a different type of satisfaction and joy. And you say, no, I'm going to stay with my old system. I know that it works. I don't want to get the right type of car, right type of clothes, whatever. I feel good. And that's what I want. I don't want to trust God. I don't want to step out and do something that I'm not sure about. The idea of generosity is you're giving stuff away, not knowing how it might be returned to you. Oh, you can always outgive God, right? Yeah. But it's that fear that we have that I think I've got my security down, even though it's a false sense of security. And I have some satisfaction. But what God is asking you to do is to take a bold step of generosity. To do something this week that... that you would have never thought of before. And watch how your heart starts to free up. Command them, that's us, to do good. 
to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. Anybody have two-year-olds around your house? Mine! 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 No, share with me. You've got a lot of... No! It's all mine! And you know, we all struggle with that still. Right? Because it's mine. We might not have a temper tantrum. <laughs> right? We're not giving that stuff away. And ask God to do a work of convicting us in this area. This is, again, if, they, if you do that, if you store up your treasures in heaven, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. We are living for eternity, not for this world, so that they may take hold of life. That is truly life. Most of us are not living the life that he's talking about here. Right? Because we're not incredibly generous. But again, it's a step of faith saying, I want the life that God wants for me. So what's the generosity strategy? Well, first of all, you trust in the Lord for everything. And then you give and save and and live on the rest. You give first to God to honor Him because He is the giver of all good gifts. You decide on a percentage to give. We talked about that last week. We talked about the principle of the tithe. And that's a great place to start out from and grow. Maybe you're at 3%. It's really healthy to do it percentage-wise because wherever your income might go, you can always look at the percentage. Uh, maybe God's asking you to take a step forward. The 5% or the 7% or 10% or 12%. And you say, well, I don't know that how, how that's going to work. And friends, that's when God will begin to do a new work in your life. I'm going to have John Pushbrage come out at this time. John is one of our elders here at Springbrook, and he'd like to tell you about his journey of generosity. Thank you, Pastor. Good morning, Springbrook. Pastor Dan uh, asked me to share a few words about uh, my experience on giving and uh, on God's faithfulness. Uh, my wife, Carnegie, and uh, my daughters, Hannah and Sarah, they used to ask me what I wanted as a gift during uh, either Christmas or birthday or any one of those occasions. And uh, I used to quote a line from one of the hymns, Greatest Thy Faithfulness. Uh, I used to say, Thy hands, all I have needed, thy hands have provided. To indicate that I don't need anything. There's only so many ties I could use. So, though I made the statement without thinking a lot, uh, then I started to reflect on that particular uh, wording. And then I realized that uh, God has truly been faithful and he has supplied all my needs. And uh, everything in that statement was true, that everything that I've needed... He has supplied, not only during that season, but throughout my life. We are all familiar with uh, the passage from Malachi 3.10. The second part of the passage was pretty uh, intriguing. It says, Thereby put me to the test, says the Lord, Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Some, uh, some translations say, until there is no more room. This is God, the creator of the universe, 
asking us to test him. A few years ago, um, Springbrook ran a campaign, um, the Heartstrong campaign. So my wife and I, uh, we pledged an amount uh, for the duration of the campaign, which was about two years or so. And uh, after that was done, a couple of months later, it was time for my annual raise at work. You all know where I'm going with this, right? So I got my raise, and uh, after I got that, I realized that I cannot outgive God. You're probably thinking that I got the, the same amount as what we pledged. You'd be wrong. The amount I got was twice what I had pledged. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right. and, uh, praise God. Praise God. Yeah. And th- if we had not stepped up to that campaign, I would not have discovered afresh God's ability to supply our needs and His generosity. This is not the only time that has happened. It has happened multiple times, um, many, many instances, more instances than I could count or recall. And uh, he's always faithful. Um, one of the things uh, is I can attest that uh, God has been faithful in this area of giving over the past two decades for me. And uh, sometimes, just like anyone else, uh, life gets, uh, gets in the way. We get, uh, I get busy and I forget. But uh, there's a verse in the Bible that helps me to remember God's uh, grace, especially in the area of giving. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 17. It says, uh, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to generate wealth. This verse helps me to remember that without Him, we are nothing. And uh, it also helps me to give not out of duty or not grudgingly, but with a thanksgiving in my heart in response to God's uh, uh, grace. Thank you. Thank you, John. Let's pray together. Lord, as we continue down the discipleship pathway, this is such a core thing. We might release our hearts to you to find security and satisfaction in not this world. Thank you for my friends here. Lord, I pray you continue to teach them how to be more generous, and and I pray you would uh, do the same for myself, because uh, you are a generous God, you have a generous heart, you saved us through your Son, you've given us everything, and we want to reflect that back. In Christ's name, amen.